welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey, and joining me on this freezing Sunday afternoon, um, in which I hope I don't have to leave my house at all, I'm joined by a, a wonderful uh, human being who is the chief strategist for Ubuntu Research and Evaluation, uh, the consulting firm. Um, she's also uh, adjunct professor at Marquette University, and um, excited to hear a little bit more about her work, her background, and why she does what she does. Thank you, Dr. Monique Liston, for joining me today. Absolutely, I'm excited. How are you? Cold. <laughs> I'm really, really cold, and I wasn't prepared. And I don't care that I'm from here. <laughs> Every so often because it doesn't happen every year it doesn't get this cold every year but whenever it happens it's like ugh, i can't i don't get me out of here yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. i i agree like being being in that like midwest bubble like it's still it's still like runs on the same cycle you know like we still dread when this happens every year and mm -hmm. quite frankly i'm sick of it <laughs> i like i love milwaukee but this is like the reason why so many people can't wait to get out of here sometimes, you know? Yeah, I'm ready to head south myself. <laughs> yeah, um, did you have to go outside at all today? No, I really planned on not going outside today. I got home yesterday when the sun was still up and said I'm not leaving the house until I have to work again <laughs> later next week. <laughs> yeah, I and I saw the forecast. It's gonna be like this all week, so. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what have you done today so far? Um, today was a no responsibilities day, which I really, really need more of <laughs> in my life. So I woke up late and didn't do much else other than eat breakfast and sort of like take care. I have a pet tortoise. Oh, yeah. I saw on Instagram. I love that. Yeah, I have a pet tortoise. So Sundays are spot and brunch day for my pet tor tortoise. So we did that. I also have a cat, but she's, yeah, <laughs> not really fun or interesting. So I don't do anything special for her on Sundays. But that was about it. Just sort of milling around, refusing to be responsible for anything. <laughs> I, I totally feel that. Um, yeah, I saw your post of the tortoise eating some lettuce earlier. <laughs> Chowing down. It's so adorable to me. It's just like the way his head moves as he yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, I love when people have pets that are, you know, not as conventional as like a cat or a dog. Um, so yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, yeah, so uh, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity. And so um, I've been uh, familiar with uh, your work for some time now. Um, I interviewed uh, Bidea a couple months ago, and she talked a little bit about uh, Ubuntu. Um, but I've I've just seen uh, we 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 like are connected with some of the same people. Um, I know you know Josiah, um, who's like one of my best friends. Um, yeah, he's the best. But uh, I I was just. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was intrigued by um, just what you do, and I'll talk more about it. So I guess we'll start with, um, uh, so 
are you originally from Milwaukee? Yes, born and raised. As a matter of fact, I currently reside in the house in which my parents resided in. <laughs> they first had me. So, yep, born and raised. Um, have lived mostly on the north side of Milwaukee, but 53206 is home. Sure, right. Okay. Well, that's something special. There's a full heritage in, in the home there. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it just you there? Just me and Franklin. Don't forget. Right. <laughs> of course. He, he's, he pays rent. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, sure. So I guess, so a question I've been starting a lot of interviews off with lately has been taking it back and asking, so when you were, when you were younger, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Mm. I remember distinctly, um, my mom was doing my hair. She had a pressing comb, doing my hair, I have very thick hair. So it was a long journey. <laughs> um, I remember like being sleepy and just talking about what I wanted to grow up. And this was the same time when I remember Mae Jemison was on the cover of Ebony. So like the first black woman astronaut. And I remember telling my mom, like, I don't know what I want to be with when I want to grow up because I kind of want to be both a dancer, astronaut and a talk show host. And <laughs> I just wanted to be all those things just as badly as the other. So I never had like this definitive, here's what I'm going to do when I'm an adult. I just knew that it was going to be important. <laughs> if I did it, it was going to be important. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and you, you're, you win if you can combine all three of those things. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you still, um, you still trying to go out to space? You know, space fascinates me. Like, I still like really get into like whenever they talk about what's happening in space. I'm just fascinated by it. But also, you know, there's this thing about when you get older the more things become scary because the more you know about them, right? And so space is also like terrifying. <laughs> That's so real. There's something about like, it's possible to do this super terrifying thing, but I would go into it assuming that I wasn't coming back because space is just so full of unknown stuff. So there's a desire, I'm intrigued by it, but not enough to like, you know, drop everything I'm doing and go to space school (laughs) right yeah I I feel that totally like I go back and forth about space like I'm uh, like you said it's pretty terrifying and uh, it was always like it's always you know kind of a a source of wonder for many like especially when you're a kid and you're like it, it seems so cool but then as you get older like you become more conscious of just how ambiguous it is and how there's kind of playing off the fear of the unknown you know mm-hmm. and uh now it's like just how vast and seamless the whole idea of it is is like now I'm not so sure I mean it would be cool to like I mean it would be it would obviously change your life but but at the same time, like that's that's also sort of the what you just said is like, what if we don't come back? <laughs> like that was it. Bye. I'm in space now. 
and all my body and physical materials also in space because you know we blew up <laughs> right <laughs> yeah it's not like uh i remember when i was little like i loved like the jimmy neutron movie mm. and they were like going out in space and like the on all of their like you know kitty rides and shit and i'm like if space was like that i'd totally want to go but space is more like interstellar or some shit like that you know yes <laughs> where it's like no you're stuck up there you're gonna die you're gonna die because there's no oxygen <laughs> theory of relativity you know when you come back it'll be like 47 years later who knows but i'm not ready for it <laughs> either am i that's why we're here doing <laughs> the mr nice guy podcast <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah yeah, I guess so. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your your educational background, um, like where you went to school, what you studied and whatnot. Sure. Um, I did under, my undergraduate degree at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Um, I am a proud Howard alum. In fact, that's the only school I really talk about when you know, I talk about my higher education um, experience. But I majored in sociology. Um, I minored in three minors. I had a minor in entrepreneurship, a minor in nonprofit studies, and a minor in film because I really, really thought at, in up through like junior year of undergrad, I was either going to law school <laughs> or I was going to be like the next Spike Lee, right? So I was going to be making like these social commentaries and doing all these cool film and music videos that Spike Lee mixed with Hype Williams, who was like sure. a movie's rap video director <laughs> is, <laughs> is what I wanted to do. Um, a little later in my undergraduate career, I wanted to go to law school, took the lap LSAT, got a 150 and just didn't apply to law school. So I ended up at, um, I only applied to one graduate school and that was the University of Delaware. Hmm. And I went there and got my master's in public administration, which is now known as the Biden School of Public Affairs. So I have a lot in common with our current presidential administration. <laughs> um, and while I was there, there was like a little urge to go into education. And so like maybe a month after I graduated, I applied for uh, USC's Master's of Arts and Teaching program, which I got into, but I didn't get any like scholarship money, so I didn't go. Um, I started working, and there's an interesting story there um, in Philadelphia for a while um, in a school. It was kind of like thinking about education specifically. It did not go well. I ended up getting fired. Um, so I came back to Milwaukee to sleep on my mom's couch <laughs> and I was like, I need to know more about this education thing because I don't like what's happening there. So literally went to the university like, hey, can I do a master's in education so I can better understand education? And they were like, you already have a master's. Just go in the PhD program and fill this out and you'll get some funding. And that <laughs> is how I became Dr. Monique Liston. So I didn't have like a Howard was like, I'm going to Howard, nowhere else. The University of Delaware was this the only place I'm applying to and UWM was I walked in that door. So I wish there, I know when people are like, how do you choose a school? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Show up. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. You kind of had, you had your sights set. You were <laughs> dead set. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of cool. How, and they just kind of spelled it out like when with your PhD program 
So yeah. I never getting a PhD was never on my radar until I walked in the school that day. So right. and here we are. <laughs> here we are. Um dope. That's that's super cool. Um that's so cool that like you're interested in so many things and uh, you got like you know, several minors. And uh, you probably have some pretty long days, huh? <laughs> Super long. I was definitely, like, when I graduated in undergrad, it was one of those things, like, why didn't you just double major? Because you have way too many credits for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, are you a coffee drinker? Absolutely not. Oh, my gosh. If you ever see me drink coffee, you should slap it out of my hand because this the what you just heard is me sans coffee so imagine <laughs> what I'm like with coffee it's it's not pretty unnecessary <laughs> well if I ever catch you with that with that cup of joe you're like the hell's going on <laughs> yeah that's, that's it I've actually been interviewing people several people lately that have said that that are like no fuck coffee I hate coffee yeah I, I don't know I don't think I, I, I didn't try to hate coffee, but like when we were growing up, one thing that like kids couldn't have was caffeinated drinks. So like soda was for mm -hmm. something that you get when you're an adult. So what I remember when I was in grad school, I'm a first generation student as well, right? So when I was in grad school, people like kept asking, you wanna go with coffee? You wanna go for coffee? I was like, no. Cause I didn't know that that was like, really like, do you want to sit and talk? I thought the legit ask was like, do you want to enjoy this coffee experience? With right. me? I don't drink coffee, so I'm not gonna, not gonna go. So I, I talk about that social capital that's wrapped up in like coffee drinking that right. there's no way to know about it unless you do it. <laughs> How much of like a catalyst it is for conversation and sharing space, like, yeah. I, I get that because it's yeah like if you're not used to it in that context yeah you just think about the idea of just we're sitting at a table and we're just sipping sipping and uh, I've been drinking it since I was 15 and I don't know if I'll ever stop because kind of once you start you don't stop mm -hmm. so props to you for being so like wired and motivated and determined without it without coffee i'm a water drinker i do enjoy tea but i'm a big water drinker <laughs> yeah most definitely so so uh i'd love to hear a little bit about how you got um sort of in your beyond school uh just uh, into your current role with uh, ubuntu hmm so interesting. Um, so just like I never set out to get a PhD, I never set out to be a business owner either. <laughs> that wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something I thought I was going to do. Even as I got towards the end of my PhD journey, I still was like trying to figure out how to do the traditional thing, which is to go work at another university. Um, but my work um, at the time was focused on boys and men of color, black male achievement. And I did a lot of work with the city and had a chance to work with the national organization, the campaign for black male achievement. And really got, you know, a lot of the work I was doing, got some notice. And I realized, you know, that one, if I didn't do something with my work, someone else was gonna do something with my work and say it was theirs. <laughs> which was like starting to happen already. And I'm like, how are y'all talking about something without talking about me when I'm the one who researched it? 
And then (laughs) there was also this component of realizing how much of a struggle it was for me to be a Black woman in a professional space. Like being a Black woman in a professional space got me fired in Philadelphia because I felt like there was something unjust going on, spoke out about it, and it was like, you got to go. In grad school, um, and I'm really like transparent about it, I feel like any any person of color, any woman, anyone who's non-English speaking, anyone who is marginalized in any way, if you go through grad school, it's a traumatic experience because the way higher ed is set up in that in that manner you know the difference between undergrad and grad is like in undergrad you're learning about things in grad school you're supposed to be producing knowledge about a thing and if you're coming from a marginalized identity and trying to produce knowledge so many things are trying to shut you down and say you're not valid you're not right blah 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 because it's the system just not built for you (laughs) to succeed and so in realizing that I'm like what would it look like just to create a space that was actually built around those folks (laughs) as opposed around these systems and so just knowing there's people who didn't believe that I had vision or knew how to lead or like had intellectual property worth protecting in that way or were trying to use me (laughs) and my labor also think that's that millennial thing of like I'm not doing this with (laughs) y'all I'll do this for myself Um, but I really was set on wanting it to do it in community so that led me to creating Ubuntu and I really thought Ubuntu when I first created was like a side hustle right? It was like, okay, (laughs) I'm going to do this, you know, while I figure out what I'm going to do for real. Um, And then I realized that other Black women were coming to points in their professional lives where they needed a space where they could just be and use their skills, talents, and brilliance in ways they wanted to and not just ways they were told to. Um, And so that's really like the impetus. And I've just been so blessed to know Black women and femmes who were like, yeah, I'd be down for this. And yeah, I want to come work here. And I'm always like, you know, you can make more money working elsewhere. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. Like I'm a Black woman trying to put on other Black women and femmes. That's hard (laughs) when it comes to the financial aspect. But like, it's a little bit of relief because you're not fighting for your existence at work. Now we might be fighting with our clients, but like <laughs> at work, you get to be your whole self and kind of um, make your work fit around how you want to show up in the world. And so that was the basis for Ubuntu. There's a large connection about, you know, I've, since I came back to Milwaukee in 2011, I've been like heavily involved in like community stuff and, um, I don't want to say political stuff, but near adjacent to the political stuff. Um, So it allowed me to really grow a network that also made it easier for me to create this consulting firm. Because it's like, I know all the people and connecting to all this other smart, brilliant people who are um, curious or knowledgeable about a thing. And I spend a lot of time like reading and studying about race and blackness and whiteness and it's like here's how to put it into use and not have a system demand I have to put it into use the way they want me to put it into use so that's sort of the foundation for Ubuntu. That's amazing thank you for sharing all of that Um, it's wonderful Um, that's really special Um, so that all being said uh, so how long has uh, Ubuntu uh, existed? four years and some change um 2022 will be our five-year celebration and I'm just kind of like I can't oh, believe right I can't believe I have a five-year-old child in the world 
<laughs> right. Yeah, that's it's it is your intellectual baby, right? It, yeah. It is. It is. And yeah. shout out to all the aunties and uncles and sibs and nibs who have supported it along the way because it wasn't just me it was just there's so many people have been a part of it and right now actually it's Ubuntu homecoming week um so it's a chance to recognize and see folks who have been a part of the journey along the way word shout out to all of them <laughs> yeah that's great that's so great um yeah so I guess uh, if you want to talk a little bit more about just the, the operation of Ubuntu itself and just kind of like what um the day-to-day -day role as a consulting firm, like kind of just a little bit more about the mission uh, itself. Sure. I mean, overall, as an organization, we're about prioritizing Black women's leadership and voice. <laughs> and so um, the work that we do is consequential because it's really about the brilliance of the Black women who work there being involved and engaged in the work that they want to do. Um, so about half of our work is around evaluation which means that there's either a program policy or initiative that they're trying to determine the value, merit, or worth of such program policy or initiative, right? Like, is it working? Are we doing it? Is this worth, should we invest more? You know, those questions that allow us to sort of determine how do we judge a thing? Mm -hmm. And so um, that's about a half of our work in which we um, spend a lot of time bringing those questions of racial equity into the picture. Like you said, this was racial equity. Here's some things that we might be concerned about or you said that this was um, a program that was supposed to uplift this population. Here's where you're missing, or here's what's really going well. That does happen too. Um, <laughs> and then there's another half of our work that uh, I'm calling it education as a large bucket, but you think about like training and professional development for older adults, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I say that too, because you know, if we take the extended young, young person's age, um, those are the folks I'm like, you want to work with Ubuntu? But it's the folks entrenched in organizations that are usually contracting us to like run a workshop or to talk more in depth about a particular idea or practice of equity, justice, and liberation within their, their organization. So those two sides of the organization are completely different. And there's parts, um, people in the organization who have skills to work both sides and all, you know, all up in between there. Cause there's definitely that overall thread is like, we're being really critical about stuff relating to race. And we're really defensive when it comes to black women, children and their families. So, yep, we're gonna do it either with an evaluation focus as our tool or as an education focus as our tool. But either way, we're still in defense of the same things and the same ideas. Totally, that's great, that's like, that's very profound to like be, you know, analyzing the systems themselves, like, you know, in like a, in a way that kind of dissects it, it sounds like. Um, and that's, that's great. Cause it's very easy to say, oh, the system is broken or the system is, you know, isn't working this way or that way, but to point out like the specifics um, as it pertains to marginalized communities is um, very important. Uh, so uh, what does the word Ubuntu mean? Ah, uh, so I, so Ubuntu became kind of popular with um, South Africa and Nelson Mandela during his like um, movement in the early 90s, a little bit, I was a child then, but that's kind of like most people's, either they connect to that or they're like the operating system, you mean like, you know, Mac OS, Linux, 
Ubuntu? And I'm like, mm, not quite. Um, but it is one of the translations of dignity that you can find in Africa. It's Swahili. And so you can definitely connect it to Kenya, but Swahili has a particular role across the continent in which there's a number of different countries where people understand and speak Swahili. Um, so there's a whole phrase that I can't pronounce of which that comes from, but it's really this reflection of humanity, right? Like I am a part of humanity because everyone's a part of the humanity and everyone's a part of humanity. So I too am a part of humanity. And that really mirrors the approach that I took to study dignity. And so it meant kind of solidifying this inherently African black diasporic view on humanity as the organization. So Ubuntu research and evaluation is exactly that, holding that sort of global Pan-African Black diasporic view on what it means to be human and putting research and evaluation next to it. That's awesome and special. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, so all the, so with everything that, with the organization and, um, its work. Um, obviously, 2020 brought a lot of uh, unforeseen um, consequences in terms of like COVID and what how a lot of things for many business owners have had to shift or alter or, you know, God forbid, fail. Um, and I'm kind of curious, like kind of how, um, how you sort of like dealt with that uh, from your perspective and how not only COVID, but also, you know, the uprisings over the summer um, uh, in protest of police violence, like how the events um, of 2020 uh, kind of um, how you, how you coped with them and like how you uh, responded to them. And um, yeah, just, I guess what, your way of um, what your way out was with dealing with all of it. Mm -hmm. 2020 was a hell of a year, <laughs> like in so many ways. Um, and we have two different responses for sure. But thinking about COVID, which was scary, right? Let's think about a year ago. Actually, a year ago this time, I probably was coming back from like my last group experience. I was on a board and like a year ago, I was like, hmm, people keep talking about this COVID thing. <laughs> um, and I think two weeks later, people were like, it's coming to Wisconsin. And then a week later, it was like, shut it down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it all escalated so fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so relating to COVID, it was a pivot from our work a large one because we did a lot of in-person training. Um, our, we are a national organization, so we work coast to coast and it wasn't uncommon for me to be gone two weeks out of every month because <laughs> I was training or facilitating or learning somewhere. And so when that first started shutting down when people started canceling stuff, that was like the first like, oh shit, <laughs> right? Um, but then there's a large number uh, a large body of our work, the evaluation work that it was like, we weren't going to be in person anyway. It was like you were sending documents or we were setting, setting up a Zoom meeting. So it wasn't difficult in that regard. Um, and so it was kind of like, well, we're just, we'll see, <laughs> right? Uh, we also had staff transitions at that time. Um, one person moved 
right at the beginning of COVID to um, out west, an awesome job. And then another went back to finish their PhD. So it was like, we need a new team as well. Um, so we brought on some new folks um, during that time and actually ended up growing <laughs> right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, so that was like a blessing to like see all that work. And why were we growing? Because thanks to the speed of whiteness, white people decided to pay attention to racism in 2020 for a little bit. <laughs> so even though we had been talking about it, 2020 was like, oh, I think we should really, you know, do a training or whatever. Um, and so on one hand, we had more opportunities and a lot of ass. But on the other hand, it was also like, we're not taking on all your shit, white America, just because you feel like there's a problem today, just because the media told you this is something that you should be concerned with today, doesn't mean that I jump up and then be immediately responsive because the context of which my daily life is happening is still exactly the same, <laughs> right? Not that this isn't tragic, not that I wasn't um, standing with or being supportive of all of the ongoing marches. I think those are vitally important, but that just doesn't mean that white organizations in particular can just demand that they now be taught, right? That's one of the things that, um, the ways that whiteness works. It's like when I want to know a thing, everyone should stop what they're doing and teach me to do a thing. And it's like, that's not what I'm going to be responsive to. So leaving more room for people to just be checking themselves and then being a little bit more selective of what does it mean for us to put ourselves in a position to be doing that kind of education because that education can be harmful for black folks because you know you're telling them telling them being large groups of white people <laughs> about these things that you know to be true and then they want to argue and debate about it and i'm like this is <laughs> devil's advocate <laughs> No, <laughs> I'm not doing this with you. And so, you know, thinking about there was something greater in mind when my educational journey happened, I don't think I would have been at the place that I would be if I didn't have these letters after my name, because I get let in certain rooms and treated certain ways. And because of that, it also allows me to be really unapologetic about my shit and just stand on it like there is no wavering about how black people should be treated in this world I'm not negotiating that with anybody <laughs> ever and so any questions that people have about that you're saying that my livelihood at some point or extent is worth negotiating and so I'm saying no <laughs> and I'm never going to be caught denying that or debating that so that means I'm gonna go a little bit harder right and I also work for myself. So that means I'm going to go a little bit harder because who are you going to tell? <laughs> 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 and then, you know, what are you going to do? Threaten to not hire me? That's really going to make you look more stupid than me. Like, I'll be, you're not going to hurt me. You don't have that kind of control over me. So it's um, been a responsive and reactive situation in a lot of ways. But I think the liberatory action that we took is when, news around Brianna Taylor's death first broke, um, our organization shut down for two weeks, just for a little bit of regrouping and healing, which is too strong of a word because you can't heal within two weeks, but just to regroup. And some of us were like out in the streets during that time. Some of us were like, I need to spend time with family. It was just a lot happening in the middle of a health pandemic. So we just 
minded that first. We told our clients like, you'll hear from us in two weeks, just chill. (laughs) There's nothing new happening in your world that hasn't been happening. You're just putting a whole bunch of weight on other people because you're realizing it in this moment. So that was kind of the thing. There was a huge growth thing, but there was also this like ability to kind of say, not jumping into this boat, into this rushing bus, just because you want me to sort of resistance that we practice as well. Totally. Thank you for sharing all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, like it's, and yeah, like what you said about people checking themselves and like kind of having empathy for the mental and emotional labor that goes into, you know, asking somebody basically about like their trauma and stuff like that. Like it's, I've been seeing, uh, I've been seeing people like really like embrace that, you know, Google is a powerful tool and it's really easy to look things up and read things, um, which, you know, I would encourage everyone, anyone, you know, who wants to learn about effective camaraderie or allyship. um, It's a good place to start. (laughs) The best place. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, all of that said, um, going coming into this new year, uh, 2021, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you folks have uh, in store with Ubuntu research and evaluation now, and uh, just what you're gearing up for uh, in the months to come. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the bodies of work that is has kind of been on pause since the pandemic, which was also pre-pandemic, a large body of our work was work with schools. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of like um, teacher support, Um, curriculum development, all of that, which, you know, the shape the schools are in right now is horrendous. But going back to what it was before was just like slightly better than horrendous. (laughs) And so um, I think one of the things our team is thinking about is like, what is going to be our new relationship to schools? What do we want that to look like and feel like for us? What do we want to offer and how do we want to offer it? Um, there is continuous expansion around ourselves as visual practitioners as well. So I've done a lot of like graphic um, recording and uh, facilitation that I would use a lot in our in-person trainings. And so now it's like spending time, like how do we convert that practice to the digital space and make it more seamless, right? (laughs) Because that's just, it's a difference, not just like, oh, just do it on a computer. No, it's like a whole different set of things (laughs) that we're doing. Um, And um, in the coming months, we'll probably put a couple more positions out. Um, Mainly, you know, I never signed up to be an entrepreneur. (laughs) That wasn't on my, that really was not on my life plan. I was trying to be a lot of things, but not that. And as a result, like I need to start breaking away with some of the stuff that I'm doing. So like right now I'm like, I'm owning the business and I work there. I need to be doing one one or the other and make some more room. So we'll be hiring some more folks as well. Um, And just sort of deepening our practice as we build more relationships outside of Milwaukee as well. Since we've been virtual, it's been easier (laughs) to work with more organizations outside of Wisconsin. Um, So yeah, that's kind of on the slate right now easier to do a lot of this too you know <laughs> because of zoom and whatnot but, yeah yeah but well that's great uh, you are kind of like uh consolidating uh the different roles in the organization and whatnot that, mm-hmm. that sounds great mm-hmm. um well awesome uh i think we'll 
Um, you know, before we uh, close out here, uh, I did want to talk a little bit about um, your uh, uh, studies slash lecturing over at Marquette. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, uh, what uh, what courses do you teach? Um, I teach two courses, one in the spring this semester. Um, that's for um, graduate students called Social Justice and Social Action. Yeah, it's a relatively small class because most of the students are a part of a fellowship program and this is their last core course. And then in the spring, no, in the fall, <laughs> I teach program evaluation. So really the two sides of Ubuntu are two classes I teach. Oh, dope. <laughs> that's dope. Right up your alley. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, yeah, so so you're you're teaching the first one right now. Yes, yeah, this is my fourth or fifth year teaching this course um this is the first time I'm teaching it completely virtually which is that was a shift you know I felt so bad so bad because if I wasn't a student I don't think everyone across the university understands that you can't really easily switch a course from in-person to virtual during the semester it's just like a different way of thinking about the course um and so I I had to do that last semester and I know those students did not have the best experience because it just wasn't working for any of us. Um, so this was the first time I re completely revised the course so that it can fit within the virtual space. And I'm really excited about it. Um, I think these students are gonna get a lot out of it. And I feel like this might be a permanent way for us to run the course moving forward. We are really like uh, changing those conversations these days of like effective and proper learning environments and like what what really works virtually, what might not. So. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I'm lucky, right, that I can work, I can make it, like it's not chemistry class or dance class where it's like, I don't know how y'all are doing that virtually. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm excited about that. And the program eval class, the first semester, this is only my second year teaching it, but um, I have a really, um, I have a position with the American Evaluation Association. And so holding a course that allows me to check against all the things that I know in that way is really helping me to streamline just my own practice because otherwise I wouldn't think of it in such a streamlined sort of way. Gotcha. Oh, cool. Um, and social justice and social action, that's the first one you, is, it's called? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. Um, uh, what is um what does that course entail exactly like I mean it's I guess it's kind of self-explanatory but is it kind of just like teaching people to do real work in the name of social justice right I mean really the core of our course is asking is is there even such a thing as social justice right because I argued um at the beginning of the course in our very first lecture about how I felt when the Jacob Blake verdict what went out, right? Not the verdict, but like the DA spoke and said that there was gonna be no charges filed. And just remembering the number of times I've experienced now between the ages of 18 and 35, where there has been harm done to a black person, black people, and the result was either not guilty or no charges filed. So how can we be in pursuit of social justice? if that's our reality. So that's like the biggest question I really want them to carry with them is like, is this even a thing and what's your role in it, <laughs> right? 
wherever you're going to go in your professional life, this is their last course before they graduate. So wherever you're going to go in your professional lives, like where, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What kind of responsibility are you going to have to people thinking they're seeking social justice when their reality is shaped by no justice being even accessible to them? Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's like, that's a really like brutally honest question to ask, but a necessary one an extremely necessary one um talking about the monolithic system you know that we're up against like is is it an it's not enough to ask for reform like sometimes like why a lot of us became abolitionists this year mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and making sure that they understand like things like decolonization and abolition aren't just sexy titles that you put on your name tag at a conference but like they're real practices that even have everything to do with how you talk to your partner <laughs> when you leave class or how you go grocery shop and making sure that they as students are getting that experience too like this isn't something that you just learn in class and leave it there like you learn it and now you're responsible for it yeah a hundred percent like it literally like it it's it shifts the way you perceive everything like the way you talk, the way you spend your money, you know, the way you interact with folks, the way you interact with yourself. It's, yeah, I, I think what you just said is so, like, profound. Um, like, it's, like, it's not, yeah, it, like, it's not just, you know, a, uh, you know, something that you conveniently identify with it's something that you actively are unpacking and unlearning things every day mm -hmm. and a lot of people aren't ready for that but <laughs> and, but yeah uh i'm i'm just glad that it's at least like becoming more recognized right now mm -hmm. i think more will adapt uh how can folks support Ubuntu research and evaluation. Mm, that's awesome. Um, you can support us by following us on Instagram or Twitter. Um, and that's at UBUNTU research in either one of those domains. You can follow us on Facebook too. <laughs> that's cool. Um, we also, with the same um, handle, UBUNTU research, you can also drop us a dime on Cash App. Um, usually that is for our own well-being fund, right? Because sometimes it's just like, I can't cook dinner tonight because today was too much or like I really just need a little bit of support so I can go get a massage or some personal care, not just me, but members of our team. Um, so any love offerings that are sent to Ubuntu Research that aren't talked about a specific fundraiser we're doing are really for our self-care practices and increasing our access to those. Um, if you are looking for um, organizational support, learning, development, evaluation, definitely reach out to us. There's a contact us form, a request for services um, link on our website. And you know, tell, tell folks before they hire the next white consultant at your organization that they're black women, there's indigenous folks, there's queer folks, there's fat folks, there's all kinds of other folks that they should reach out to who can do the same work. That's great, thank you, yeah. Um... For sure, I will uh, be posting a link in the description so folks can uh, look into those resources. Um, thank you so much for 
uh, joining me on the show today to talk about your work, to share space with me. Um, you're awesome. Like, I, I really love your energy a ton. And like, um, like, you seem like you're really fun to hang out with, you know? Um, I'm interested in like what you do in your free time. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Um, I love to eat. I love to eat. So I'm, I have a food Instagram called everything she ate. Um, so I like to cook, but I also pre pandemic, like love going to new restaurants. That's my jam. I also, you know, I am from Wisconsin. So I also like to drink. So I'm <laughs> always like, what's this new beer I need to try. And oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's something that I I'm really, really, really big on. Um, I am a huge supporter of Milwaukee Film, particularly the Black Lens program. Um, I used to work with Milwaukee Film. Not you work with Mikey? Yes, actually. Well, she she just emailed me to ask me when she could announce this, but I'm announcing it for her. She's gonna start doing work with Ubuntu very soon. Yes, yes. I actually assigned that book for my students. Oh, um, great. When I, I taught women's studies for a couple of years at Marquette too. And that was required reading. Um, so yeah, Mikey is going to be working with Ubuntu very soon. Very, very soon as in tomorrow she starts. Oh. <laughs> um, good, good. Yeah, so that, you know, that's the gist of it. I'm, the real big thing is traveling. Like that was one of my favorite things to do. Like go places, be in new cities, eat up all their good food and drink all their dr good drinks. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like when the... The, like those three things are all best done in tandem with each other the, the eating the drinking the traveling yeah that's what that's well like that's what i'm trying to do like it's you no know, like milwaukee is great has a great food scene a great drinking scene like this great uh um it's it's a great like culture to invest and indulge in what's been your uh, best uh, new like like most recent food discovery in milwaukee hmm. most recent food discovery in milwaukee oh my goodness what did i have recently like oh my god oh you know what let me just plug one of my favorite places company brewing i used to work there ah one of my first of all one of my favorite places for first Fridays, which also we miss very much, but like they're, um, they're vegan, the way they do their impossible burger, the way they do their Yuba sandwich. It's like, I crave those. I'm not even a vegan, <laughs> but those uh, yeah. things are so delicious. Like that's like my, that's been my go-to pandemic comfort food are those two sandwiches at company brewing. Oh, oh yeah. I'd say my best food discovery recently, uh, has been La Miranda in Walker's Point so good i love yeah i love any tapas little place yeah. like a whole bunch of things yeah I'm super in love with that totally the only thing about places like that though is like you got to order a lot of things if like you're gonna be full yeah and it's it's not cheap um but uh it, it was my birthday like a month ago and that was my choice so shout good, out to yeah. good good choice good choice Oh yeah, I love it. Um, well, before we, as we're closing out here, I ask everyone the same two questions. Mm -hmm. um, so, Doctor Liston, what keeps you up at night? <sighs> Nothing. <laughs> You're a sleeper. 
nothing keeps me up at night this girl I know people are always like you when do you sleep I'm like I don't know I sleep nine to ten hours every night (laughs) so nothing keeps me up at night in, in, in the physical form but the things I'm thinking about before night most often are like the space that how do I create the space I need to explore my most creative thoughts because right now I know like as an entrepreneur you're just so wrapped up in making sure your business is running like that's like that's your thought like 98% of the time the other 2% are like did I do laundry did I shower did someone get the mail like <laughs> those things and always so in the background yeah yeah so I'm just trying to make up some room so I'm like I need to like dream some more dream space and how do I create more room for my dream space so those are things that keep me up my at night I think I've learned to not like stress about some of the other things that are part of this world because this world needs to burn so I'm not gonna let it keep me up at night (laughs) right yeah yeah no that's that's real like I feel that um what uh what puts you to sleep that's the second question Ooh, what's what puts me to sleep um oh gosh we were just talking about watching something on tv and I was like that puts me to sleep real quick <laughs> I can't remember what it was oh my goodness Ooh, I can't think of it um but I um I love like ambient noise before bed so I'm definitely like a thunderstorm I love thunderstorms I had a thunderstorm playing the other night that like gets me going um I also have like a very, very strict Fenty beauty skin routine that I do every night. (laughs) So like, these are the things that like literally put me in my good positive, like sleep mode. Um, The other things that put me to sleep are like our local politicians doing the dance. Like those things will literally like put me to sleep. Like, oh my God, like, don't y'all get tired of doing this? Like, do you realize that people just been doing the same talk for 60 some years over and over again so like aren't you exhausted because i'm exhausted i don't want to hear yeah yeah there's like there's a couple of them that i respect like um like ryan clancy Mm -hmm. most of them are complicit in a lot of bullshit and that's why we stay out in the streets Mm -hmm. um yeah i I agree with you 100%. Uh, Well, thank you. Thank you again so much for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. This was my pleasure. I'm glad we could fit it in. I'm I'm glad now I can tell Josiah, like, no, I've actually talked to Ben now. I get it. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) That's my hubby. That's my baby. He, uh, I'm very proud of him. Congratulations, Josiah, on your new job. Yes. Um, Which means, sadly, he'll eventually have to move, but... uh, so we got to make time for him in these next couple months. Uh, Please do. It seems oh, like yeah. he's going to it. <laughs> Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy, everybody. Uh, support Ubuntu Research and Evaluation. I'll be uh, tagging uh, the org so folks can check out the resources and services they provide. And uh, yeah, stay warm out there. We'll see you next time. Yeah.